Well, good morning, church. As we come to this Easter Sunday, uh, we're going to finish out uh, the book of Jude together that we've been uh, spending some time together in the last few weeks. And uh, in past years, in my uh, Easter messages, I've often sought to prove the validity of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. You know, there is there is more than enough historical evidence to prove the reality of what we celebrate today, that he is risen, the tomb is empty. But this year, I thought that instead of seeking to uh, prove the resurrection, instead I want to share with you today about what the resurrection proves. Beloved, because Jesus rose from the dead three days after his crucifixion, there are a couple of immense truths that we see here at the end of the book of Jude that I want us to look at today and to rejoice in today, even as we can't be together. You see, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we understand these two things. That he is able to save us and he is worthy of worship. So I've titled the message today, What the Resurrection Proves. And again, just those two points today, we're going to keep it real simple, uh, but I pray that the Holy Spirit will, will use his word today to convict our hearts and, and to conform us to the image of Christ. So two truths today. Jesus' resurrection from the dead proves that he is able to save us and he is worthy of worship. Let's begin there in verse 24. This first truth, the resurrection proves that he is able to save us. Jude, in the very beginning of this letter, wrote that his desire was to speak about our common salvation. He, he desired to write a letter of encouragement to the church, but instead, because of the current situation, he instead had to write a letter warning the church. That's been the bulk of this letter of Jude, a warning to the church about false teaching that was creeping into the church and leading many astray from the faith once for all delivered to the saints, this, this gospel that we rejoice in. I know what it's like today for there to be a disconnect between what you want to do and what you have to do. That's exactly what this is for me this morning. I desire to see us together, church, worshiping the Lord in one place. We cannot be the church in reality right now. This is no substitute for what the church really is. This is what we're left with for now. But I pray that our hearts would yearn for the reality that our gathering is essential, that our gathering is necessary, that our gathering glorifies God. That the resurrection of Christ that we celebrate today proves that he's able to save us. What is he able to save us from? Let's look at these truths here in verse 24. First of all, he is able to save us from sin. This is the truth of the gospel. That when Christ died upon the cross and when he made that final proclamation, it is finished that the work of God necessary for us to be saved from our sins was completed in his death. 
There was nothing more to be done. There was nothing left to be offered. There was nothing that we could add to the great salvation that he purchased once for all. And there was no need for him to repeat that sacrifice year after year as they had done for many generations on the Day of Atonement. There was no need for any further atonement. The atonement was complete in his blood. And when he said, it is finished, he meant it. Beloved, there is nothing for us to add to this great salvation today. He is able to save. James 4.12 reminds us that there is only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able both to save and to destroy. You see, the cross reminds us of that reality that our God is able both to save and to destroy. That we will either be recipients of his grace through faith in Jesus Christ or we will be recipients of his wrath because of our rebellion against him. He is able to save us from sin. But also as we look at verse 24, we notice this, that he is able to sustain us from stumbling. Now, Judas talked about this stumbling all throughout this letter. He has referenced this idea of those who have fallen away from the faith because they've listened to these false teachers. And he's brought this warning that we might not fall away, that we might not stumble, that we might persevere and press on in our faith. Because as Jesus said in the Gospels, those who persevere to the end will be saved. Not just those who pray a prayer of salvation or get dunked in a baptistry or attend church faithfully or read their Bible on a regular basis or offer up prayers to God. No, those who persevere to the end will be saved. And that is what Jude has been reminding us from. But he also reminds us that the only possibility for our perseverance is found in the sustaining grace of our God. We can do nothing to save ourselves, and we can do absolutely nothing to sustain ourselves. It is by His grace and for His glory, and He will. He has promised He will keep us from stumbling. I want to take you over to John 10. The words of our Savior, as He's talking about being the Good Shepherd, He said, My sheep hear my voice. Beloved, are we hearing the voice of God in these days? My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. And he goes on to say, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. We are kept secure, beloved, in the hand of our Savior and in the hand of our sovereign God. And nothing can snatch us out of his hand. This is where our security lies on a day when we feel so insecure, we feel so out of place, when we're experiencing new things that we have never experienced before. I want to say to us, there are some things that have not changed. We are celebrating unchanging realities today on this Easter Sunday. And we need to be reminded 
in a day when it seems like everything is changing on, a, on an hourly basis, we need to be reminded that we have an unchanging hope. There's a reality in the resurrection of Christ that reminds us that he's able to save us, he's able to sustain us, and he's also able to submit us as a sinless sacrifice. You notice what he says there? That he will present you before the presence of his glory blameless. That's a powerful word, beloved, that he will present us blameless. That word looks all the way back to those Old Testament days when year after year and even day after day they would offer up sacrifices to the Lord. And the Lord said about those sacrifices that they had to be without blemish. If a lamb had any spots or, or any disabilities, that that lamb could not be offered as a sacrifice to God, that, that God desired a holy and a perfect sacrifice. And of course, that was looking forward to the ultimate sacrifice that Christ was going to make for us at the cross when he who knew no sin of his own became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We might become a holy offering. And we are no dead sacrifice. Romans 12 reminds us we have become a living sacrifice. Which sounds like an oxymoron. How can you be a living sacrifice? And yet that is exactly what we are in Christ. And his desire is to submit us to himself wholly and without blemish. We see it in Ephesians chapter 5. Which says Christ loved the church Beloved, remember, salvation is for the church. The church is not optional in the plan of God. It's not about just rescuing individual Christians. It's about bringing us into His body, the church. Christ loved the church and He gave Himself up for her that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word, that He might present her, the church, to Himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And that is who we are, beloved. We may not see the fullness of it in this life, but the reality is secured by His blood. We have been made holy because He is holy. We have been saved from our sin. We have been sustained from stumbling by His grace. And one day He will submit us to Himself as a beautiful bride. A sinless sacrifice. The writer of Hebrews says, Consequently, He is able to save to the uttermost, to the fullest extent those who draw near to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. Again and again in the New Testament, we find that what our Savior is doing right now in this moment is He is interceding for us before the throne of God. He is offering up prayers and petitions, whispering into the ear of His, of his Father in perfect intimacy on our behalf. He is able to save to the uttermost. And if you have not experienced the salvation that's offered freely to us through the blood of Jesus Christ poured out at the cross, I urge you to consider the empty tomb today where the promises of God are made manifest for us. 
he has proven he is able to save and to sustain and will one day submit us to himself, a holy and perfect sacrifice. But not only is he able to save, but the resurrection also proves this second reality that we see in verse 25, that he is worthy of worship. He is worthy of worship. And I want you to notice as Jude ends this letter that really in many ways Jude is coming back around to what he wanted to do in the first place. As he wrote in the beginning, he said, I want to speak to you about, I wanted to speak to you about our common salvation. I wanted to lift high the gospel and encourage you in what we have in Christ. By the end of this letter, it's like Jude just can't help himself. He has to come back to these things. He has to give glory to God. And now some have misunderstood verse 25, and I don't want us to misunderstand, beloved. Some have taken this as a prayer. But I want you to understand, beloved, this is not a prayer that's being offered. This is a settled reality that Jude is rejoicing in. He is not asking God to do something. He is rejoicing in what God has already done. And that's what we need to be doing today as well, even as we continue to offer up prayers and petitions and intercession, asking God to remove this plague from our land. Let our greater rejoicing be in the settled reality of what's already been done. What's already been accomplished for us is so much greater than what remains. What remains is temporal. What is finished is eternal. And so he's worthy of our worship. Why do we worship him? Let me show you three things from verse 25 that I think would lead us to praise of God on this Easter Sunday. First of all, we worship him for his saving goodness. We worship him for his saving goodness. He speaks there of God, our Savior. Now, we're used to talking about Christ, our Savior, or, or Jesus, our Savior. Uh, but do you realize that, that about a third of the times in the New Testament, when it talks about our Savior, it talks about God, our Savior. That not only is God the Son, our Savior, but God the Father is also our Savior. And God the Spirit also is involved in the saving work that was accomplished through the cross and the empty tomb, that, that the Trinity itself came together to rescue a people for His glory. And I mean, God our Savior has demonstrated to us His saving goodness through the cross and the empty tomb. Titus 3 reminds us that when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. That's where we see his goodness, beloved, that he saved us, but not because of works done by us in righteousness. No, not by anything that we have done, Ephesians 2 would, would say, but according to his own mercy. That he's not treated us as our sins deserve. He has rescued us from sin and death in the grave purely by his grace. That's worth rejoicing in today. We also, we worship him for his saving goodness, but we also worship him for his sovereign greatness. There's a danger here, beloved, in these days that I, that I want to urge us to be aware of. 
Whenever we enter into seasons of suffering, times of great difficulty, like what we're in right now, especially not knowing how long this season will last, as, whenever we enter into these times, there are two dangers that we need to stay away from. One danger is that we would begin to doubt the goodness of God. The other danger is that we would begin to doubt the sovereignty of God. You see, whenever we face difficulties that are beyond our control, and by the way, everything is beyond our control. I believe that's one thing the Lord is reminding us of in this season. Nothing is beyond His control, but everything is ultimately out of our control. We are not God. We are not sovereign. We worship the one who is sovereign, and we trust both in his goodness and in his sovereignty. And for all of us, when we go through the darkest times of our lives, we are tempted to doubt one or the other of those realities. We either begin to doubt that God is truly good, or we begin to doubt that God is truly in control. And beloved, I want to urge us in these days to hold those truths in tension with one another. I want to urge us to continue to cling to the faith once for all delivered to the saints, which proclaims both the goodness of God and the sovereignty of God. Nothing is happening in our day that is beyond his control. And all these things will work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And so Revelation 4, those gathered around the throne of God cannot help but cry out, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Our Creator is worthy of our worship. He has become our Redeemer through the cross, and He is worthy of our worship. And so we worship Him for His saving goodness. We worship Him for His sovereign greatness. And beloved, we worship Him for His surpassing glory. Now, we don't always know what to do with the word glory. We find it all over the scriptures in reference to God. And that his very being is glorious. And we can't quite get our hands around the fullness of that word. But it speaks of the weightiness of God. That there is a heaviness to his presence. We, we find this reality that there is a, a seriousness. There is a somberness related to the presence of God that, that begs from us a, a reverence as we come before him we do not come before him lightly because of his glory his glory speaks of his beauty uh, of him being light of him being the fullness of love that we recognize that he is everything good and everything that is great and he in his in, in by definition he is glorious and so we worship him we worship Him in the good times and the bad. We worship Him when we are together and when, when we cannot be. And we make the proclamation of Romans 16 today. Now to Him who is able to strengthen you, our God is able. 
According to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. And we can all say to that, amen. I'm going to leave you with this today, church. As I began to search the New Testament this week and to see all the things that our God is able to do, all the things that would elicit from us worship to the one who is worthy, I want to show you what I've discovered as we finish out this Easter message today. I want to make these proclamations for us that our faith might rise up in these days. And as the children of God, we might rise up and call him blessed. Call him worthy of worship. Call him our father, our sovereign, the one who is good and in charge of all things. So what is he able to do? Acts 20, 32, he is able, beloved, to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Romans 16, 25, he is able to strengthen you according to the gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8, He is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Ephesians 3, 20, He is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. 2 Timothy 1, 12, He is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to us. Hebrews 7.25, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. And Jude verse 25, our God is able to keep us from stumbling, to present us before the presence of his glory with great joy. And therefore, we echo this present reality that has been true from eternity past to eternity future. That our God is worthy of worship. He is worthy of all glory and majesty and dominion and authority. It all belongs to him. And by his grace, we have been welcomed into his kingdom. Beloved, we have much to rejoice in today. As we come to the end of this message today, I just want to say to everyone who is listening, I want to urge you to examine your faith today. Is your faith in the one who is able to save and worthy of worship? Or do we find ourselves trusting in lesser gods who are no gods at all? He has proven himself will we take him at his word if you've never trusted jesus christ as your lord and savior would you look to these final words of the book of jude would you recognize that he is able to save you from your sin no matter how grievous you believe your sin to be his grace is greater And he's able to sustain you to the very end and present you to himself blameless. Holy before a holy God. And I would say to you as well, he is most certainly worthy of your worship. He is worthy of the praises of all peoples. 
Will you submit yourself to him today? Will you trust him by faith to do for you what you cannot do for yourself? Your good works will never be enough to get you into his kingdom. But his good work done on your behalf at the cross is more than sufficient. Take him at his word. Trust him for his grace. And experience the glory of the glorious one. Could we pray together? Father, what joy to be reminded that death has been defeated. The grave could not hold our king. That which we have been so fearful of in these days as we have been reminded of the reality of, of sin and death in our world, it has no hold over the people of God because we are following in the footsteps of the one who rose up from the grave. We rejoice in him today. And Father, remind us as we continue to move through this time of separation, Remind us that because of what Christ did for us at the cross, we have been united to you. Because of that fountain of precious blood that was poured out on that day, our sins have been removed. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is cause for great rejoicing. And Father, while we cannot rejoice together like we would desire to do and like your word would beckon us to do, we pray that you would cause to well up in our hearts songs of praise to the one who is worthy. We thank you, Father, for this Easter Sunday. And as we sing our way out this morning, we pray, Father, Remind us of who you are. You are the worthy one who has all glory and majesty and dominion and authority. It is yours. And today we proclaim once again, we are yours. In Jesus' name.